0: We couldn't shake no more We got down on our knees When cancer knocked out our door We got kicked in the ass We gave lots of sass But when it rained In the dark.
1: You're listening to Thanks Cancer.
2: I'm Mimi Hall. I'm Leanna House. We're two cancer friends. We are not doctors. No, and we're not shrinks. We're not nurses or anything like it. And because of that, we are going
1: to use some appropriately obscene language. Let's just call it salty. Anyway, we hope you'll enjoy it. This is the podcast we wish we had when we were dealing with our treatment. All right. So, Leanna, what are we talking about today? Uh,
2: well, today, Mimi, we are talking all about Allie. We've got a guest. We have a guest. <laughs> Hello. Um, This is Allie, who I met in a support group at Dana-Farber. Cool. I, I did not like support groups initially at Dana-Farber um, because... So, it's great. There are things that happen in support groups that can't happen anywhere else. And it's true. And you find your people. And you find people that understand what it's like to go through what you're going through. But you also get some, like, weirdos. (laughs) Which is not my favorite thing. (laughs) Um, So, one of my early support groups, I sat down next to this woman. And she had a voice oh. like a newscaster yes. she had a baby <laughs> with a world war 1 pin up girl nice and nice. she I'll that. like you like, look a little <laughs> like that too actually <laughs> yeah she like yeah. laughed at my off color jokes uh. and i was like I think I found my people. I'm going to sit next to her.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes, yep. that, that is felt what very I did. Similar. Yeah. Okay,
2: uh, it was
1: that kind of a support group. Yeah. And
2: <laughs> yeah. So now we still occasionally end up at support group together, but I try to more often try to get Allie to just do support groups with me and her over dinner. Aren't there restaurants that you want to go to? <laughs> <laughs> Always. So, um Allie also has a wild, exotic type of cancer. (laughs) I know. We're gonna learn all about it. Uh, But first, Allie, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
3: Sure, so my name's Allie. I'm 30 years old. Um, I grew up just north of New York City. Um, I came here for college and grad school and just kind of stuck around. And I was diagnosed when I was 27 with mm. acute lymphoblastic leukemia.
1: Can you tell us what that is? I can. So it's actually
3: fairly common in children. It's the most common form of cancer in pediatric cases. Okay. Um, fairly less common for young adults or adults. But um, basically it's just a type of leukemia that attacks you know, the platelets and, you know, the white blood cells and your neutrophils and makes it very hard for you to fight infections.
1: How, so how did you, like, what were the first signs? Like, how did you start to, so you, you were working and like living your life? Yeah, I was working and living my
3: life and, um, basically really what happened was I got the flu at the end of January, 2015. Um, and I went to the doctors because I had been out of work for a couple days and just was really feeling pretty shitty. And my doctor at the time told me, you know, it was viral just to treat the symptoms and that it would go away. And it things, a few things about it got better. But to be honest with you, I never really felt 100% after that, you know, in the next couple of months. And I kept calling her and, you know, I kept having this cough and it wouldn't get any better. And I would try to go to the gym at work. And I remember one time... I felt very faint, and I had to go down at the locker room at the gym in my office, and it was just always, you know, but the problem was she kept telling me I was fine, so I kept thinking I just had this weird thing going on that it would kind of pass, um, so I started to kind of just pretend that nothing was happening, even though obviously I knew that something kind of weird was going on in my body, um, and about a couple weeks before I got diagnosed, I started having these really weird bruises that were just, you know, much larger than I would have anticipated, but I just bumped into, like the door and my apartment like how big were they Like um, I remember I had one on my arm that was like basically the size of like a baseball on the like inner arm like it was very odd like who knows where that came from um, I had driven down to Philadelphia to a friend to be in a friend's wedding two weeks before I was diagnosed and um, I probably shouldn't have been driving because I felt very faint and mm. I kind of just pushed through it and I was okay um but a couple weeks later, I was actually out on a date um, at Fenway. I'm a Yankees fan, and the Sox were playing the Yankees. Boo. So it's actually um, right that you think. Yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I was, all of a sudden, we were talking, and I had this spot in my vision. What? Um, and it, it was kind of reflective. You know when you look at the sun, and you get those kind of weird reflective, like, spots. Yeah. You know, that's kind of how um, it kind of seemed. And I was like, that's kind of weird. We were out of the lights in the park. So I kind of just let it, you know, you know, I went out. Whatever. the of the evening and I woke up the next morning and it was still there and it was oh. pretty big. And I was like, that's really not. Right. So mm-hmm. I went to work. It was a Monday. Um, and I called my eye doctor, who luckily I had just seen a few months earlier because I had my prescription checked because I wear contacts. Um, and she was like, yeah, let's, you know, come in this afternoon. I'll, I'll you know, fit you in. Um, and so I went. I left to work early. You know, left everything, you know, just as if I was coming the next day. Um, and my eye doctor took about a two-second look at my eyes and said, your eyes look markedly different than they did three months ago. Wow. Which was crazy. I was, like, not expecting that at all. Like, the color? Like... So I had... Basically, the spot in my vision was a retinal bleed. Okay. And I had... Basically, the one... I could see it because it was in, like, the middle of my field of vision, but apparently I had retinal bleeds all around, like, the periphery. Okay. And also I had these things that are called cotton wool spots, which are not indicative of anything in particular other than ill health, basically. Okay. Okay. So she was like, I really suggest that you basically go over a mass ID and I'll call over and tell them you're coming to the the, the emergency room and get like some blood tests. This is outside. not a good sign, but you no, like, okay. this is so a terrible at this point, sign. I've been telling myself for months. This is, by the way, this is... Um, May 4th. Okay. Which has been, as a Star Wars fan, has been ruined for me forever. Oh, that
1: sucks. Yeah. That but, um, suck. so I, you know, Do you I, think Star Wars gave you cancer <laughs> I can't
3: think like that, right? <laughs> no, okay, this I'm, not sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> sorry.
2: That's
3: fair. Um, but so I, you know, I called my family, and, um, I, you know, of course, my mother had, I felt like everyone, my mother, my father, everyone knew something weird had been going on, but no one really wanted to admit it, because it was just kind of this weird thing happening, and, so I told them, you know, I'm going over to the hospital. Of course, they were like, tell us as soon as you get home, whatever. Right. So I went over to the emergency room, and that's how I was seen by a relatively young resident. You know, it took a couple hours, and um, I, you know, had gotten, you know, some a bunch of uh, vials of blood taken, and she'd taken pictures of the bruises and pictures of, like, the retinal bleeds, and they had set me up with a visit to, you know, meet the uh, retinal specialist a few days later, and told me that she'd be in touch some point in the next few days with my blood results
2: and like at that point
3: it was like no big deal well not, maybe not no big deal but like we don't know what it is but you know we'll figure it out kind of thing like yeah like you so know. you weren't really worried i was worried and just, but i was also kind of just in denial like the whole thing mm-hmm. at this point it had been like months and i was just kind of like you know we'll deal with this whatever mm-hmm. um and i went home and it was around ten fifteen, and i grabbed a piece of pizza that's across the street from me and i called my parents and i stuffed it in and my mother was like you know that's um, kind of weird but you know Call me if you hear anything. I was like, sure. So I was about to go to bed and I was about to turn my phone on silent and I got a call from a Boston number. And i was no. like, that's not right. That's it's 11 you- o'clock at night. <gasps> that's only not about, not- about an hour 11 after 11 o'clock the ER. at night? So I picked mm-hmm. it up and it was the doctor I had just seen. Did you know that? of course, proceeded to tell me on the phone that she thought I had leukemia. Oh which my. is not God. the kind of call you want to get when you live alone. At 11 o'clock at night when you just had a really long day and you spent three hours at the ER of Mass Iron here. <laughs>
1: you know, that's how they do it with all... We've all gotten the calls now. That's yeah. how they do it with everyone now. Like,
3: Why did they do what? the calls? So she was telling me, you know, my platelets were like 12, which is like... I what? Low normal is like 150,000, 150, Yes. Mine was 12,000, which was like nothing. My, you know, I was anemic. My white blood cell count was normal, but they, the, cell, the type of cells wasn't normal. Right. Um, and basically she was like, you know... I would either come back now and get more tests or come back first thing in the morning. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like shaking. I was like, I live alone. I'm not gonna, I'm gonna stare at the wall for the next six hours. Obviously I'm coming back in. Mm-hmm. So she called over to Mass 90 and told the emergency room there that I was coming. And of course I called my parents immediately and I was mm-hmm. like shaking. I didn't, I mean, who expects, you know, at that point to get that call. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, my mother thought that she was going to pick up immediately at the like, night and jump here from New York. and
2: I mean, the um, traffic would be way better. That's
3: true. <laughs> that is true. She would have gotten here fast. Of course, my father and I both said to her, like, come first thing in the morning. Like, it's right. not going to be, you're obviously upset. Like, this is not going to be the best time for me to drive. So I, and I, you know, we hung up. We decided that was going to be the best course of action. I packed, I had my suitcase, my suitcase, my backpack full of literally, I don't know what I packed. It was empty. I had a pair of underwear in it. <laughs> And, like, I think a pen and a pad. I mean, that's all you need. And then I, like, left with my good empty backpack that had, like, three things in it. And I, like, called a cab or Uber, whatever it was at the time. Yeah. Um, and I went straight back to Mass Gen. And a couple of hours, they admitted me to the emergency room. And a couple hours later, I was just laying. You know, honestly, I probably should have called a friend. But I was so, like, in shock. You know, it was late.
1: Also, who we are you going to call at that time of night? I was like, weird. And what are myself. you going to say? Like, I
2: have leukemia. Can you help me? Yeah. And
3: at, like, 2 a.m., basically, I was alone. And they came back in and was like, you know, you know, I'm sorry. You know, you have acute and leukemia. We're, you know, going to admit you up to, you know, the cancer floor, basically. No, are there? They, a, they said you need to get a blood transfusion, like, like now. So wow. I, I brought me upstairs at Mass General at the time. I was I was only there for about a day, um, but they brought me up and I had a blood transfusion. And I, I mean, the room was gorgeous. I watched the sunrise over the harbor. I was like, they have they have the. Views, I right now. I'm right. in this weird twilight zone world where I'm like in this beautiful place, but right. also horrible things are happening. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, oh. And so, you know, I, it was just a very bizarre, that was kind of, you know, not to make a extremely long story, but
1: that's so very dramatic. Though. It was well, it's very dramatic. The whole, like rushing to the hospital right away yeah, is it was
2: so, so who, who did you tell first? I mean, you told your I parents, told my
3: parents. Yeah. Um, yeah. When I was waiting for my mother to show up the next morning, you know, relatively early, I texted a few of my closest friends and I said, mm-hmm. you know, I know you're working, but can you call me when you get the chance? Which I'm sure they were like, Mm-mm. that doesn't sound great. Um, and I told a few friends that I had been, you know, things were off. Like you know? So it wasn't like, yeah. I'm sure it was shocking, but it wasn't like completely out of nowhere. right? right? Um, so a few friends, I basically told a few of my closest friends and asked them to kind of be the the purveyor of the information to, like, the rest of the people in those different circles of of friends just because I just, you know, didn't have it in me to start
2: telling, you know... Delegation is super smart. Yeah,
3: and at that point, I only knew so much, so it was like just tell them this is going on and we'll deal with details and other things later.
2: Well, and then they have questions and you can't answer any questions. Like you have questions. I can barely answer the questions.
3: Um, But yeah, so I was at MassGen and then my mother came and I was actually, if you can have luck in a very shitty situation, my mother's sister is a hematologist, oncologist in New York.
1: What? Hey. Which
3: is a little crazy. Um, But she ended up obviously speaking to colleagues here and called my mother and was like, if he's taking patients, you need to get Alien with this doctor at Dana-Farber. Mm-hmm. So I think she basically talk, called him and was like, you know, I'm taking patients when I can't, you know, because the whole partner's thing, of I course. can't request her. and you know, she has to request me, basically, and I'll right. accept her. Right. Um, Mass General, you know, I'm sure they have certain pluses, but it was a very, like, you know, the day there, it was kind of weird. They were obviously trying to, I think because it's uncommon for a young adult to have this type of leukemia, they were trying to keep me there. Cause they you were are special, you are a cancer unicorn. That's right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they were already talking about like payments and different things. And so like day one, got, they were talking yeah, about So payment? my mother arrived and we were basically calling my, I mean, to answer actually, my first thought was, I knew that I was going to be out of work for a while. Like, they told me about the treatment initially. Right. And I thought, I should see if I can get treated in New York because I. Right. Be you know, close to home. And- be close to home. My parents like, can just basically like be with me. They said, you're going to be very, like, you're going to be out of commission basically. Right. Um, right. My insurance, you know, I have very good insurance, very luckily, but they didn't take any of the major cancer centers in New York. So, of okay. course, Dana Farber hardly anything to, you know, sniff up with exactly. Right, but it was, you know, in the in the moment, it was just difficult because obviously, my parents, my mother, basically moved here, which I was very lucky. Yeah. Um, that she was able to do so, um, and that was, you know, obviously. A big, you know, thing for her. She basically moved here to be with me for a year and a half. Yeah. Um, you know, while I was in treatment. Um, but later that night, I basically was only at Mass General for about like 20 hours, and then they shipped me away in an ambulance to the Brigham, where I was put into this closet of a room. But immediately felt so much better than when I had been in this gorgeous, like, <laughs> yeah. new kind of sterile wing.
2: Why at, did at you Mass feel Gen. better?
3: There was just something different about, like, the tenor of, like, way that they interacted with me as opposed to people that, some of the doctors and the administrators at MassGen, when they were trying to like, mm. keep me there. It was just, you know, there was like, a different, like, vibe. Well, and yeah. you went in during the night shift. Well, which... this during the day, I'm saying. Like, the night oh, shift, okay. actually, I didn't mind at MassGen. Okay, <laughs> was, all right. It was really the doctors kind of pushing us to stay. It was just, like, you know, you get kind of weird vibes from people. And I was like... I'm gonna be treated by this doctor. I'm sorry. I
1: bet you were feeling that competitive vibe that they have between Dana Farber. I bet they. I mean, there's got to be. They're in the same system in a way, but they're not, and it's interesting. Um, I had a conversation briefly with Tufts for like a half second about staying there. (laughs) I mean, you know, if I were getting heart something or GI something, I might stay at Tufts. But frankly, they kind of screwed up with me too. So you know, anyway. But like, it's it's you have to go with your gut. I think with that stuff. Yeah. But yeah. So and then after that,
3: I was actually the way that my treatment goes is I was inpatient for a little over a month to get it, the first section of my, first portion of my treatment. What,
2: what does Just the crazy. treatment for ALL look like?
3: So, um, I obviously can't speak for myself. I know some people need to get bone marrow transplants. I was very lucky that I didn't necessarily need that, at least not to start. They were able to kind of do some tests. See that I was able to go on kind of a different, certain path uh, mm-hmm. for my treatment, but Basically they started with induction, which is like they try to induce remission. So basically you okay. just got like blasted with like chemo. Oh. And so they, they keep you in the hospital because you're basically, your neutrophils are like basically zero, I meaning you just can't fight infection. Mm-hmm. So like I was in this room that's smaller than the room we're in now. Mm-hmm. You know, I would, whenever I left my room had positive like air pressure mm-hmm. and there was like two doors between my room and like the rest of like, the nurse's wings so that I could like have like this like separation. And for me to like go out and like go for walks, I had to put on like the really thick, like heavy mask and my like gloves. And I was always kept to my to my IV, which of course I called Chewy. Right. Because you know he was talking. May to the me. fourth be yeah. with you. There you Yeah. Go. Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, so and I was in there for a month, which was kind of insane. But then they induced permission. Um, wow. And oh. so you know, basically, I mean, it, it was really kind of crazy. I mean, they basically like at a certain day, you should see your count starting to rise, and they did.
2: So, and it was nuts. If you do enough chemo,
3: your blood counts come up? Well, basically, they just try to destroy the cancerous cells. So they destroy all of the cells, basically. Okay. And then all right. the idea is that theoretically, the ones that start growing back after a certain point are not cancerous. Right. The
2: normal cells are stronger than the cancerous cells. I see a lot of if coming off that plan.
3: <laughs> well, the reason that I was ended up being treated for two years after that is because they found that if they don't continue, you know, the difference between like a blood cancer and like a tumor, for example, or like leukemia mm-hmm. is that like the tumor, you can look at the measure, the growth or the shrinking of the tumor, like the, the blood cancer, like it could be hiding in pockets. Right. They can check my, you know, my bone marrow and see that, you know, you you when I first came in, I was 70% cancerous cells in my bone marrow. Oh my God. And, 70%. And when I, they took it after, but they induced remission, I was like MRD negative. It's like, it was like less than like 0.000, 000 you know, 1% mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't necessarily, say that it's not somewhere. So mm-hmm. they found that if they don't continue to treat it and treat it aggressively, that it is more prone to coming back. Got it. So I've been in remission since June of twenty sixteen, but I didn't finish treatment until June of twenty no, June of twenty fifteen, excuse me. I didn't finish treatment until June of twenty seventeen. So that
1: was adjuvant treatment, just to clear so out do, all of those like, stem cells. Do, after induction they do a
3: period called continuation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or consolidation. Mm-hmm. Um, where which is like kind of still pretty heavy chemo and it's just basically I was going in at least once a week. Um, to either do I was either doing pills or um, I was definitely getting IV you had a did you have a port I have a port sale. you um, do I should be getting it out sometime this summer hopefully
2: yay yeah. good for you are you gonna Thank have you. a party a port party <laughs> it'd be nice to have a little party we'll see. maybe I will yeah. uh, we yeah. should have a port party at the port ooh I'll we your that? <laughs> too much. Uh, okay, so you had you had a chemo intensely for a month to induce remission, right. and then you and had... a consolidation for
3: about 10 months. Um, okay. And certain parts of that um, included, in the beginning, so I was, that first summer after I was out of the hospital, I was inpatient again three different times for planned treatments just for like a couple of days, okay. because they just need to monitor you for certain things. Like one of them was um, a high dose of, I think, methotrexate, which they have found in the past that if they don't treat with Vitamin B chaser that people just die. Oh, how nice! Also, which my night nurse told me one night. Oh, who was this lovely lady <laughs> that I loved? But she was like, You know what? You, you guys, vitamin B. I was like, Tell me. And then I was like, I regret that immediately. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Is this supposed to be a bedtime story? <laughs> I mean, those nurses are, are night 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 night. Nurse. Those, those nurses. Those nurses are tough. Yes. They're tough. Oh. They've seen a
1: lot. Uh, they have seen.
3: Wow. A lot. Um, so I had three inpatient stays for chemo, and then um, starting in the fall of that year was actually really hard for me because I had just a bunch of um, a portion of the treatment is called central nervous system prophylaxis or CNS prophylaxis. Basically, they try to even if you get. That's probably as a bunch of spinal taps. Even if your spinal fluid has been clear of the cancer, which mine had been, Good. they treat it prophylactically just in case it gets into like the, the you know, brain stem or anything. Yeah. So what they do is within a three-week period, they give you eight days of um, brain radiation and theoretically four spinal taps.
2: Theoretically so I, the, four taps. Well spinal I didn't taps. get the
3: fourth one because after the third one I ended up with a really bad post-spinal headache and I couldn't get out of bed basically for like a couple of weeks. Which led to me getting really constipated, which led, I think, my doctor, you know, who knows, but I ended up getting neutropenic teflitis, which is like inflammation of the cecum or colon, Mm -hmm. which put me in the hospital. I couldn't eat solid foods for a couple days. They put me, I had to like basically flush everything out. Basically, with young people, they think you can like survive and I could have gotten like sepsis and died. Basically, it was mm-hmm. like really. Basically, they told me that my inflammation was quote impressive. <laughs> and I was like,
2: You never you say that, and I don't know if I should really be proud. <laughs> you never, you never want doctors to be impressed or interested. Exactly. The more interested they are, the more they want to keep yeah. you. Yeah. Like you got to get right. out of there. So they gave
3: me a bunch of antibiotics, and it kind of got better. So I, had come in with a fever. Yeah. Um, but a few weeks later, I had another fever. But they basically were doing all these tests, and they couldn't figure out what it was. So they gave me like a high dose of the antibiotic, and I went home because my fever kind of went down. And then a few weeks later, I was having breakfast with my mother, and I had a seizure at the breakfast oh, table. Oh, gosh. Um, which was fucking insane. What Your caused mom have that? Oh, yeah. Um, well, they think it was a high, this high dose of the Cipro that I was on. They think? They don't know. I've been prone to, like, fainting. I have, like, vasovagal, like, I've been prone to, like, fainting okay. times in my life and some other things, but, like, obviously I've never had a seizure before, so you know... Um, they basically I went to see obviously a neurologist and we went through all the different things afterwards mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. obviously you know luckily at the time I was living in Fenway and lived in a building with a bunch of people who worked at the different hospitals so my mother apparently basically caught me and like lowered me to the ground and apparently ran outside in her nightgown I'm like I need a medical professional I hate people <laughs> of course I don't you know remember this because I was like unconscious right um, and someone who someone called you know an ambulance and a nurse I think from Boston Children's came in and was like proper up this way and they took off my glasses and different things and um, I remember waking up like being very blurry with like farming basically in the apartment mm-hmm. and they asked me what year it was and I said 2011 <gasps> <gasps> and about they had me in the ambulance that you know 10 or 15 minutes later, I, I turned to my mother and I said, I know what year it is now. Because I was kind
1: of starting to come back to myself, and I was so out of it at first. You were probably wishing it was 2011. <laughs> I I
3: know. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Um, but yeah, that was a bit of a clusterfuck. buck. Because oh. after that, of course, she was terrified to leave me alone, and I was terrified to be alone. Right. So they added that to my like they added Cipro to my list of, like, you're allergic to this, even though, who really Jeez. knows? So I'm, I was never able to, theoretically, able to be on it again. You know, they use it, a lot of people, in my condition, kind of, not prophylactically, but if you're they're worried about, like, an infection, they'll give mm-hmm. it to you. So that, like, I had a prescription for it all the time up to that point, just to have, excuse me, in my apartment. Um, but after that, it was...
1: No more Cipro. No
3: more Cipro, which is fine.
1: Yeah. Okay.
3: Yeah. Um, but so, so after that, things kind of quieted down. So, the, so <laughs> this is a bit of a rough fall. <laughs>
2: what do the spinal taps do? Like, what are they doing? Are they
3: testing? So they test and they also inject um, is it intrafecal methotrexate so like into the spine. And that's to treat it prophylactically, basically. So that they test the fluid. To make sure that that's continuously you know clear cancer cells and they inject okay. the methotrexate in there
1: and that's a cytotoxic agent that kills yeah. the cancer cells okay um, got it
3: obviously people i think with like rheumatoid arthritis take certain doses of it and I think yeah it up the dose a little bit for and then people, like,
1: the conscious. brain radiation was it's really kind of shocking to me that they give that to you prophylactically
3: yeah but they did so it's they eight did days. Of, they said it, they call it low dose but, oh you know, man. To me, it still smelled like things were burning up there. What? So it <laughs> it smelled so, t- so I mean, you could,
1: like, yeah, you. you should, I, mean, I didn't have radiation. radiation so, shiny, did, they, yeah.
3: did
2: they put a mask on you? Did they put that jelly thing so on you? So, what them? they do yeah, tell us. is I don't know
3: how, how it's done for breast cancer, but basically, they had to hit the same point every time. Right. So, they had one of those, like, plastic masks made to hold me in place, which I still have because I was like, I'm taking that home. Good. I almost brought it
2: oh you should have brought it we could have tried That's it on we'll go, let's go
1: out another <laughs> <one> night
3: <laughs> wear it <laughs> freak people <laughs> basically what they did is like it's kind of like um, wet and malleable at first and they basically lay you down and they stretch it over your face and then they let it sit for like I don't know how long 15 minutes and it hardens and then so basically they lock They have, there's like locks on the end of it and so oh they basically lock you to the table in this like plastic cage over your face and your head
1: no,
2: yes. so you're the man in the iron mask, basically. And how? How? Uh, I
1: mean, you know, some
3: people were in there, have been there for like months. I now mean, I only had eight days. Like they actually so had brain cancer. Eight exactly. days, right. and, and was I, it know, for me? It was only. It was, was a, a rough patch. In like, Dylan, and eight yeah. days was it?
2: Like you were sitting in the chair for ten minutes for an yeah, hour?
3: Yeah, I went in. So I went in five days and around that had the weekend off, and then Monday through Wednesday the next week. Basically, you're on the table. You're laying down. You're on it for maybe. 20, I mean, at okay. this point, I kind of okay. really forget. Right,
1: but it was that. less than a half hour or something. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it wasn't, like,
3: super long, but it was long enough that it was just unpleasant. Okay.
1: <laughs> so, what were the side effects of that? Did it affect your, it
3: affected your hair, exactly. remaining hair? It was hair. one of the, I did not, I was on a big vomiter when I was in treatment, but I remember I had vomited during the radiation. The radiation. <gasps> not... Not, like, often, but a couple times it wasn't.
1: Pleasant. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The oh, you know, was
3: probably my least favorite portion of this whole operation. Because it just led to a lot of... You know, when your body's already kind of diminished, when, like, one thing goes wrong, it kind of, like, domino effects. So, you know, by the time the seizure happened, we were just, like what the fuck is going
1: on? <laughs> you know, and Allie, I just want to say it's really weird and surreal to have this conversation with you because obviously this is a podcast but you look yeah. just really pretty and healthy right now. <laughs> and Why, so it's you. just crazy to think about all that you've been through over the past couple of years because, I mean, what you've been through really makes my treatment sound like a walk in the park. I'm going to tell you. It's no, funny. I mean, I obviously am not on here
3: to try to, you know. Be We're not trying to, to out-cancer
1: like, each other. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you
2: had the way more legit cancer. I mean, you definitely Win, <laughs> <way>. <laughs> like, you win. Thank you. Hey, yes,
3: I, I honestly, have mediated. I have radiation. I want to tell you that's why the only reason why I'm here.
1: <laughs> no, but it is win the cancer. I day. just want to say though, it's pretty what's inspirational to me is just seeing like hearing about all these horrifying treatments you went through for sure, but they worked. Like they
3: look, yeah. they look at least visibly in mean, your energy the levels really line, high. If you can survive the chemo, you should be like okay. Like I felt really good about something. Right. Um, I was I actually had a checkup with my doctor a few weeks ago and even before I was Treatment I took ameprazole or Prilosec because I'm an old lady and I get heartburn. Oh, heartburn, just, yeah, 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 okay. Um, and I guess a lot of people, part of my treatment was steroids. I was on dexamethasone like throughout the entire thing. Okay. And so I guess they do a lot of, they give people Omeprazole just to treat, like, heartburn that's associated with the steroid intake, but I was on it anyway, so he said to me, like, you know, basically I'm back down right now to the medicines that I was on beforehand, which is just the Prilosec and Alebra, because I have allergies, mm-hmm. and he was like, are you planning on getting off of the Omeprazole anytime soon? And I was like, I mean, I could, but I was actually on that beforehand, and he said to me, well, you don't really want to be on that for the next 60 years, do you? And I was like, I don't, but that sounds great. Yeah, that's a compliment, isn't it? Yeah, I was like, I'll take that, thank you. Wow. And I was like, I don't, but say it again.
1: <laughs> Saving for retirement gets really weird, it's doesn't all- it? <laughs> it's really it's
2: weird. It's like a happy, hopeful like, thing. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so the the lowest point was the seizure? Um, definitely up there. Okay, down there,
3: (laughs) down there, up there, you know. Um, I had, you know, there were just a few different moments. I fell a couple times because, like, my I was really deconditioned. So, like, my I mean, when I got to the hospital, I was telling you guys beforehand, like, I literally couldn't like step up on a curb without help. Like, I was just in the hospital for a month, so you know, I just I you know, I, I walk in the pod, but. I, I used to count, obviously. Mm-hmm. It was a U, and it was 40 steps in, like, each direction. Oh, my God. Um, and so after, like, 15 minutes, I'm like, I can't do this anywhere.
1: It <laughs> sounds like cancer prison
3: is, it is what it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, <laughs> it basically was. I mean, I, you know, some people who've been are in there for transplants are in there for, like, three months, yeah. and they're much sicker than I, you know, theoretically, than I was. So yeah. it's all relative, obviously, but it was just, yeah. you know, it was afterwards um honestly though my towards the end I actually so I had been in maintenance after the consolidation you're in maintenance basically until like they do it until like the um second anniversary of your first remission so that would be okay. like, mid June of 2017 I would have was in maintenance um and around um end of December the year before that I caught the flu mm-hmm which was... I got influenza B, which Uh-oh. was hilarious, because I was like, are you fucking kidding me? I got I, got, I got influenza B. Um, I think you
2: gave me the flu. <laughs> <laughs>
3: um, and I just started working again like a couple days a week oh. in October, so I was out of work for a month. That's hard. I was, with the I went, flu? I was like, inpatient oh. with the flu on New Year's Day of 2017. No, 20, yeah, 2017. Okay. Um, and... Honestly, I, you know, I lost my voice, and it took me, because my body was just so, like, worn out, it just took me, like, months to, like, recover, and honestly, that was probably, like, the time when I actually felt, like, the most, not, like, necessarily depressed, but just, like, at that point, it had been, like, a year and a half, and I was just, like, I'm done, like, I'm so mentally and physically exhausted, like, I just, and that was probably, honestly, you know, honestly during the seizure, I was, like, so sick at that point that I was barely, like, Who really knows what's going on? Like when I got the flu, I had to go back to work a couple days a week. Like I was trying to get my life back together, and it was just like you know, not the best. That's probably the worst. Well, it's
2: not. It's not like the events; it's the accrual, like the aggregate of all of the events that exhausts you. And it's just
1: one more. Even if it's a small thing, it's one more thing. Right. Mm -hmm. It's hardest at the end. That's one thing that kind of shocked me about the whole process. Yeah. Yeah. Me too.
3: I had a really hard time when treatment ended because I had, I was like really focused on it Mm -hmm. and I had this thing I was working towards and I always had like my like appointments and I had this and that and I got very comfortable with the hospital I love my nurses and my doctor's awesome and, and then like treatment ended and like, I I mean the first year I still went in every six weeks for like checkups, but like it was kind of like, what do I do now? Like with Mm -hmm. myself, like I don't. You know, I had to I have to kind of figure out what my life looks like now, mm-hmm. which was really actually very complicated.
2: <laughs> <laughs> It's still complicated. Yeah. It's complicated. So what does is, what is treatment look like now for you? Do you have scans every so often?
3: So for me, it's not scans. It's just I get like my CBC and like some other mm-hmm. stuff checked um, right now. So for the first year after treatment ends, it's every six to eight weeks just because I also have to get the port flushed out. Mm-hmm. And then basically after the first year, they uh, you get the port out. It's going to be a big it's day. very exciting. Which yeah' Which be the last like vestige of everything at this point because like yeah. I said, I'm off the rest of my, like I was taking that magnesium supplements for a while just because the chemo really drained. I'm my body, i like got like That's really the last thing that I have mm. that's associated, you know. So I'm
2: really
1: excited about this port
3: party. I have a little baby port, so it's not too bad, but yeah. it's just kind of awkward.
1: Um, It'll be nice to feel that thing out of you, though. You know, know what I mean? Just to feel like you put the icing on the cake yeah. of your treatment.
3: But so I have the, for the first year, it's every six to eight weeks, and then the next year, it's every three months, and then every four months, and then six months and then just every year kind of in perpetuity Mm. basically
2: okay so what do you think caused the cancer
3: um so i got a very unsatisfying answer to this (laughs) from my doctor when i asked and um i actually did not i think i told you before i did not ask initially because things were just so serious so quickly that i just didn't i i needed to kind of just focus on like my treatment and kind Mm -hmm. of fighting through it so i just like I like, I don't have it in me right now to try to figure out like what happened or why. Like, let me just get through this. Um, around the time I was trying to get back to work, I was feeling a little better. And I, you know, sat my doctor down and I was like, can we talk about this? Um, and the interesting thing that was really frustrating to me was that basically he told me that it was like a statistical anomaly. That when I, most likely when I got the flu that year, that my body basically was trying to fight it. And I had like a weird mutation in my white blood cells that were just trying to fight, you know, the pathogen and they just started mutating out of control. That's so scary, is, that sounds so mad. I, know I when I was really upset one day at work and someone like asked me like, how are you doing? I said, she was like, tell me about what happened. And I was like, well, I'm telling what happened. And then I said to her, well, I got the flu and it gave me cancer and she was like what she immediately went for the prowl she exactly. was like oh. i was like keep that in mind we don't tell you that get your flu shot bitch like i i feel
2: like you should do like commercials for PSA. the flu shot you, really, yes cvs should pay you right. <laughs> I'm so CVS, cvs could you know. be a sponsor
1: dun, 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 dun. <laughs> i don't you'd have a very gentle delivery
3: though i'd be like i don't fucking care <laughs> Get your flu shot. Germs give you cancer. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, very uncommon, but apparently, but it, it happened, happened to you. It yeah, happened so to I, you. I would like, have honestly prefer. I was never a smoker. I was pretty healthy. Like too bad. I would have, no, I would have preferred. They'd be like, you've been huffing paint all these years. Like tisk tisk. Finally you caught know. up with you. <laughs> <laughs> because then you can avoid it in the future, I right? I could figure out how to, you know. I, you know, I, I had to be very careful about getting sick while I was in treatment. I had to sometimes wear a mask and gloves, and I've become very like germ phobic just because I was so yeah. I've been so like trained into those behaviors now I have to yeah. remind myself like normal people get sick mm-hmm. and it's okay yeah like it's been honestly like I get like a it's a little better now but even like six months ago I got like a sinus infection and I thought the world was gonna end I was yeah. horrified I was like crying in the middle of the night in my mirror because I couldn't sleep and I couldn't breathe and I was like why is this happening yeah. But I was like, you know, I mean, you have to kind of just remind yourself, like, you used to get sick
1: before, and then you used to get better, and it was okay. And I think it's okay yeah. too to remind yourself, like, hey, I got PTSD, I earned it. Yeah, I earned this PTSD. Like, it's okay. And if people can't understand that, screw them. Right. I mean, wait till they go through something major. I don't yeah. care what it is, even a car accident. You <laughs> of know? Course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and you did spend way too much time at the hospital. I yeah, did. that sounds horrifying. I got real tight.
3: <laughs> yeah. All <laughs> like of my uh, my nurses. Lots of white. All the homies. Lots of white.
2: So did anything good come out of this situation? Like any victories in the dark?
3: Um, I think I have, even though I did already before, I think I have even more so now an amazing relationship with my mother, Mm -hmm. which I think was obviously, you know, you don't intend you're 27 or in her position when she's, you know, ready to be an empty nester. My brother was a senior in high school when I was diagnosed to you know be living and taking care of your adult child again but you know it was you know we definitely really I think bonded um sometimes in interesting ways (laughs) but it was it's been you know obviously really nice we're very close um and the other thing is really I think I really learned to advocate for myself which is you know we were always people who were questioning everything, not just questioning the doctors, but just asking all the questions about like, why taking this drug, why this drug, you know, and making sure that all the doses were always correct. And because mm. everyone's, you know, they're all human and sometimes they would make mistakes and you gotta, you know, be, you gotta take care, you know, they're treating 800 people, you know, you gotta worry about yourself.
2: Mm-hmm. You, you have to know more about you than they do. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah okay yeah it was really good that you were a new yorker yeah because it is you you do have to be like i think i found that some of my training having spent some time in new york city paid off well because it teaches you to be a little pushy i think
2: yeah Yeah.
3: my mother's definitely a mama bear good so she was like my greatest advocate
1: good
2: (laughs) i mean i think it's really important to have someone like that yeah like it it makes a difference and it takes some of the pressure off of you right All right. And um, do you have any advice or protocols for our listeners, like things that made your life easier during treatment, things that you wish Um, you would have known?
3: I think, honestly, the biggest thing when you asked me this initially, the biggest thing I was thinking of was, you know, the fact that I knew something was wrong before I was diagnosed and I didn't really push my doctor to kind of go further than, oh, it's viral, you'll be fine kind of thing, you know. I knew something was wrong. Mm-hmm. And so I would just told people, like, listen to yourself. Like, if you could feel it in your gut that something is not right, it probably isn't because you know yourself better, like you just said, than anyone else.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, and similarly, I would say, just really advocate for yourself. So channel That's your inner New Yorker. Exactly.
1: Yeah, well, I'm at you. Love that. you felt
2: it in your marrow. Uh-oh. Hey.
3: I did, my marrow was, you know, coming against me. <laughs>
1: Yeah. It, was a, it was a staging a coup. Mm-hmm. Ellie, it's, that's like a totally amazing story. And again, I just want to say, like, I'm so glad you're okay and you're here with us. Well, thank you. Yeah. And 60 more years.
3: Yeah. I know, that's um, a long time. One, one funny story that I do want to share was that when I'm uh, living in my current apartment, which is in the south end of Boston, which is a very, um, you know, gay and lesbian friendly area, mm-hmm. um, I moved there kind of when I was in maintenance. My hair started growing back and I looked a little less... Um, like a, like a patient, really. You know, I still didn't look great, but I looked more like normal. And I could tell the people in my building didn't know what to make of my mother and I. We were like, you the know, elevator's people, and they'd be like, kind of looking at us. And I was talking to a gentleman in my building once, and he said to me, I said, oh, my mother's on point. He goes, you know, I have to be honest. When you guys first moved in, I thought you were just a nice lesbian couple. <laughs> Which of course I found hilarious, and so did my father. But <laughs> did my your mother mom? not as. I think she's starting to enjoying it now, but at the time <laughs> she was mildly <mommy> horrified. <laughs> <laughs> That I, is such I, a good story. I
2: think you guys made a lovely couple. We like, did. very, really very caring. <laughs> the young Butch with the that's older right. friend. <laughs> through, through better and worse. Like, that's they right. were really committed to each other. I like it.
3: Yeah.
2: It <laughs> must have been really sad when you guys
3: broke up. I know. They're probably like, Where's your wife? was well, so smooth. pleasant. <laughs>
1: good well i mean just end on I'm it in a more amazing <clears throat> note no that's really good <laughs> i like it oh my god well listen Allie, thank you so much for coming in and talking thank you to guys us for having today me. i've been enjoying listening myself we're oh. thrilled thanks for being a listener thanks Allie, and thanks cancer thanks cancer hey guys thanks so much for listening to this episode of thanks cancer If you want to find us,
2: you can find us on Facebook at ThanksCancer, on Instagram as ThanksCancer, and on Twitter as, guess what, ThanksCancer.
1: And if you enjoyed today's episode and you're so inclined, please give us a five-star review on iTunes. And subscribe. Yeah, definitely subscribe. And listen, we want to hear your stories, too, so please reach out to us at info at ThanksCancer.com if you have something to share.
0: Traffic stopped, you lay on the horn And you ask yourself, where is my cancer unicorn? But we're at the gate with your cancer card We're your passport date, cause cancer's damn hard Oh, thanks cancer, thanks cancer, thanks cancer Victories in the dark